We've been talking about disruption uh, for a couple of weeks now uh, as a series, and uh, today I want to finish that series up. I started with a couple of stories about um, business disruption, how that's a, kind of an easy uh, allegory for us to see. And I started with the story of Henry Ford and how he approached uh, the train manufacturers in the early 1900s about building an automobile. They had a huge vision for this, obviously, <laughs> uh, but they didn't see it. And so the story goes that he approached them and he said, I, I see a partnership with a, a, a you know, a, a, a foundry and everything that you have to build all the materials and everything's ready. We used to convert it to, to create different materials for the automobile. Um, and their famous statement was, um, we're not in the automobile industry. And that was true. <laughs> they could have been. Uh, but what they were in was they were in the transportation industry, and the transportation industry was about to be majorly disrupted. That's pretty obvious now. It's easy to see hindsight. And so uh, that's kind of a, an idea of how disruptions work. Um, but one of the biggest things I wanted to bring out about disruptions, and I talked about this before, was how disruptions are not temporary. Um, the word interruption is is the one we use for a temporary, you know, something happens, it disrupts a situation for a temporary time. We would call that uh, an interruption, but a disruption is totally different. By its nature, disruption is inevitably going to bring change. Change has to occur. And so what we're going through now, obviously, with everybody talking about it, we recognize there's a lot of change that's come already. Um, there are certain industries that discussion is going around that, that some industries won't recover at all. They just won't come back. Um, or it may take a really long time for that to happen. And meanwhile, lots of people have lost their jobs, and of course, we're praying for those people. Um, but every time a disruption like this happens, people always lose jobs. Things always stop, and then they start differently. What you see often on the Internet right now is people who are recognizing that in this disruption, it, even in this time where they're being pulled away from what they've been used to and what was normal and what they've done for years, all of a sudden there are opportunities available now that were never available before. Uh, all, the joke goes around that, you know, that, that, uh, <laughs> that meeting could have been an email. And it turns out that there's a whole lot of meetings that we've been a part of over the last however many years that could have been an email. And, and so we're realizing that there are certain things that are changing. And so um, disruption comes. And so the question isn't, is change coming? The change has already come. The question is, what are you going to do with the change that's come? And so I want to talk to you a little bit out of Scripture. I talked about Peter and Cornelius and what a massive transformation that was and a disruption in understanding the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And then we talked about Paul's mission, uh, his missionary journey, and how in the process of preaching the gospel um, in, ha in finding direction for his life, he hears the voice of God to say, I want you to go a different direction. And so we talked about how that, what that looks like and the disruption that comes in stopping something and then learning how to wait on the Lord and, and, and how to connect with others that you trust who hear the Lord as well and, and get, uh, get insight uh, into what, may, what God may be doing that's differently than what you've been doing in the past. And I think that often happens uh, in ways where God has to get our attention because otherwise we don't do it. We, we're, we're often not intentional about, about evaluating where we are. Even though Scripture speaks to that and says we should do it on a regular basis. Part of coming before the Lord on a regular basis, Karen was talking about this uh, before um, worship this morning, about how there are certain things that you have to do to energize yourself. And one of those things is to, is to take time, literally, to get in the presence of the Lord. 
um, reading scripture, having something that, that is a regular occurrence, whether that's something you, you build yourself or something that's, you know, you, that someone else has developed. There's tons of, of ways to do that, tons of apps and different things that happen online. And the key is to get into scripture on a regular basis because it's God revealing himself to you. And it's the foundation for how he speaks to us in that still small voice. Um, the permanent word of God, the logos is there forever. And within the confines of that, the rhema word of God can come to us. It never violates that, but sometimes it looks like it will. As again, with Peter, um, Peter coming to, to, uh, to the Gentiles, that didn't make any sense. And so, so it, it, it made sense later when he looked back on it after revelation for what Jesus said and obedience into what the Lord said. And it, and it panned out. And don't forget that he went and he talked to his brothers about it. So it wasn't just, hey, I've made this decision. I think I've heard from the Lord. He came and he brought um, a, a discussion and he brought processing to a group of people who were desperately trying to hear the voice of the Lord and to know what to do next. And, uh, and then Paul talked about it seemed good to the Holy Spirit in us and how, how it's more important to hear what the voice of God is saying in our lives than what we think in, in our own reasoning. And so this week I want to talk about uh, another story. I want to talk about the master of disruption himself. I want to talk about Jesus. And so this is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So I'm just going to read it and then make some comments on it. Um, verse 13 says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. <clears throat> in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and he turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. So there are a lot of times in our life when we need comfort. Um, there's a lot of times when we need healing and encouragement. Of course, we're always there to pray for you guys and our leaders are there to pray for you. And obviously for one another, that's what God calls us to do. But there are times when we're stuck times when we need something to wake us up from our slumber, that we're passive or we're on a journey that we've, uh, we use this phrase all the time, I was on autopilot. And that happens way more often than we like to admit. You look up and realize you've been driving, uh, you know, long distance for 20 or 30 minutes and you don't remember, quote unquote, driving. So that's automatic. And that's a good thing in a lot of ways, but it can be very, very dangerous. So sometimes Jesus comforts us. That's what we need. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. That's literally who he self-identifies as. And so if you need comfort, he is there for that. Jesus comforted oftentimes in the days he was with his disciples. And often he healed and he encouraged. But sometimes, as in today's story, Jesus, when he comes, he comes and he disrupts. One of the phrases that he said one time that was really tough for me was he said, um, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I was like, but you're, the, you're literally the prince of peace. I don't understand that. And so in context, it makes perfect sense. It doesn't violate anything about Scripture. It makes perfect sense when you understand it. But that's usually the problem is we don't see the context. But whatever Jesus is doing in the context, the common denominator is always this. He always has an overarching goal, and that's this, to increase our awareness of God's presence. 
to remind us of the eternal, to bring us into the presence of God. That's literally his mission, was his mission, is his mission, is to, is to usher us into the presence of the Father. Um, so often I, I've been to funerals and I've done funerals and, and uh, one of the things you find in funerals a lot of time is people will mention heaven a lot, um, especially if the person's a believer, of course. And then if they're, if they're talking to people, which often they are who aren't believers, they'll mention heaven. And, and I always find that fascinating. And I've literally done it myself in the early days until I realized I think what I was doing was I was missing kind of the point. Um, because heaven doesn't make any sense without the presence of God. It, heaven is just a place. I mean, if you're exchanging nice things here for nice things there, all you're getting are nicer things. And, and that's really, that's a, that's a Western thinking, capitalistic gospel that's nowhere near what Scripture speaks of as the gospel. Heaven is heaven, not because of the things that are so nice, although the, those things are true, because this world is a shadow of what that world will be. Um, but it, it's, made, it's made powerful. It's made something desirable. It's, it's, it creates a longing inside of us as believers, not because we're going to get a mansion, because we're going to get a nice house and the streets are made out of gold that we walk on or whatever. It's because we come into the presence fully of, of our Heavenly Father. And Scripture says, um, we will know, and in other words, we'll understand, all, everything will be opened. We'll know even as we have been known. In other words, all of a sudden it becomes reciprocal. But right now, there's, there's something that's, that's it's a shadow. We sense this. There's a longing for something more. We feel it even in this, this, uh, this disruption that we're experiencing now. There's a longing for something more, especially the connection to people. We forgot how important it was. We took advantage of it. We, we took it for granted how important it was to connect with people. And, and we know part of that is because people have problems. We know that's literally what we do for a living. We help people with their problems. But really all we're trying to do is bring the presence of Jesus to them so that they can grow up into the fullness of the inheritance that he has for them. That's our passion. And we forget that in that connection, connection where we're, whether we're helping someone else or they're encouraging us, or usually it happens both at the same time, there's something about that that is, that is it's designed in, internally. It's, it's intrinsic within us. And we know it and we sense it. And so there's, there's this, what I pray is there's a longing for, for more of, of relationship and connection with one another. But how much more are we realizing since all of a sudden, um, it's, we've been taken away from a place, how much more that we're recognizing that, that God is not about being in a place. And so I get, I'm getting ahead of myself. So why is it so important when we think about um, this dis disruption that, that Jesus brought? Um, why is it that he keeps bringing our attention back to eternal things and about, about the importance of what lasts forever? And here's a couple of reasons. One is this world is short-lived at best. It's a shadow, I mentioned this before, of, of whose substance is known but not fully realized. Like, like my wife says all the time, that one way you know God is, is good is because he, he gave us taste buds. Like there's really no need for tasting something pleasurable. It's just <laughs> one uh, uh, evolutionist said that maybe it's because if, it, if not, we wouldn't eat. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure we would probably eat anyway, but that's another story. But we're strangers. This is what the Bible talks about. We're strangers searching for a city, searching for the city of God. Hebrews 11:9 talks about this. It says, by faith, he, Abraham, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. 
So he made his home. It's kind of a, of, of a disconnect if you're not careful. He made his home like a stranger in a foreign land. It goes on, it says he lived in tents. In other words, he was temporary. This world he recognized was temporary. As did Isaac and Jacob, his sons, uh, and his son, who were heirs with him of the same promise. In other words, there was a promise. There was something that was, was given to them of something that was available that they had not seen yet. And they were living with that sense of the kingdom the kingdom come, they're experiencing a lot of it now, but the kingdom not yet. And we walk in that same experience now. Verse 10 goes on, it says, For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And I want to submit to you that the appeal of this city is not, again, the city. The appeal is that the architect of the city, the builder, the one who designed everything about it, is the God who has revealed himself to us through Christ. And so that's a picture of what we get and what we sense. That's why we're so overwhelmed sometimes when we sense injustice and we sense all the things that are going around us. We know that we were not meant for this. Even when we miss it as believers, we sin and, and the new nature inside of us is violated because we were not made for sin. And so something inside of us says, that's not what I'm designed to do. And, and we reject it and push it away. Oftentimes we struggle with, the Bible says, the sin that so easily besets us. But then the promise of the Father is that you can, you can lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. Well, how? How do you do that? And part of the way that you do that is to stay in fellowship and in connection with the God who made you, the God who's builder, who the foundations, who the architect is, is who's built in peace and love and kindness and goodness and mercy and, and this sense of everlasting hope that is within us as believers. And that with those who aren't believers, they're searching for and they're looking for, especially in this time right now. Um, some of you guys may have read recently a doctor who treated uh, um, COVID-19 patients was so overwhelmed. And of course, we don't know the whole story, but uh, they committed suicide. And, and this sense of, of why so much brokenness, why death and, and why, you know, the frustration of, of people not helping and not seeing it the way that they, they should see it led to the place of despair that they literally took their own lives. So why would someone do that? And the answer is they've, they've lost touch. They've lost the picture. They've lost the hope of the, of, of the city whose builder and architect is, is God. That there's something that God wants to pour inside of us. Something that he says is eternal. That if we're not careful, the distractions of this world will smother that thing away and cause it to be repressed. And so disruption comes. Why does Jesus disrupt, especially in this story. So what Jesus saw in this temple was not out of the ordinary. This was a common scene, especially during the time of festival. People came from all over. They were exchanging local currencies for the common currency. They were buying grain and animals to sacrifice. And understand this, it was part of how people had long understood their relationship with God. This is the way you do it. And the temple where they were was very much where people understood God to be. And we know that's an old covenant and Old Testament understanding, but how often are we guilty of the same thing? That, that God is Sunday morning in a service, or he's, he's, I remember when we were first learning about God, how when we were around Christians, we acted like Christians. 
And so something about us, we connected God to a place or a, or a person or a people or a set of moral codes or something like that. And that is altogether not who he is. He is a person. And he defines himself primarily in scripture as a father, as a good, good father. It's one of the reasons why I sang that song this morning. So he, Jesus comes into the temple and he takes this familiar scene. Does this resonate with you? The familiar, all of a sudden the familiar goes away. So Jesus comes in and he takes this familiar scene and he literally upturns everything. <clears throat> Figurative, figuratively, literally, he, and he's basically saying the system is broken and it needs to be dismantled. So he says, stop making my father's house a marketplace. He kicks everyone and the animals out. He dumps out the money changers' coins. He flips over the tables. And let me just submit this to you to just maybe take a minute and think about. When he did this, how long did it stay that way? I would imagine it wasn't immediately cleaned up. So for a, for a little while at least, it was pandemonium in the temple. It was not exactly what people expected. It was literally something altogether different. And in that moment, you, you can imagine um, their, their understanding of worship was to come into the temple. It was a place. It was a way of doing it. It was sacrifice. This is the way they did it. But Jesus comes in and disrupts. He disrupted the familiar. Even though it was something that someone had taught them or they thought was the best way to go, he disrupted it. Why? Because he was trying to reorient them. He was disrupting their life so he could reorient them. He disoriented them so he could reorient them. You've heard this before. Um, embrace the gift of disorienting, right? When you're disoriented, when something challenges you, take a moment and try to figure out why this has occurred. So Jesus, again, disrupted this whole thing. So just think of it this way. We all have familiar routes. <clears throat> Ways we do things, routes we take, literally like routes in our city. Um, I, I, there's a certain route that I take to work. There's a certain wet route that you probably take to work. It may be the fastest route. It may be the easiest route. It may be the most scenic route. There's usually fairly good reasons as to why you chose that route. But it may not actually be the best route. But you don't give it up very easily. Um, when you come up on a detour, the first thing that you feel is frustration and irritation and you're like, man, I have to do something different. I have to learn a new way. But how often have we experienced times when we've done that, that we have discovered something we would have never discovered if we'd stayed on that common route? So Jesus is coming and saying, there's a different route to God. The way you've been doing it is not the way that God designed it to be done. That was temporary to show you something more important. And you have missed it because you've gotten so embroiled in religion and so embroiled in the route that you missed the whole point of the route was the destination. And the destination wasn't a place. It was a person. And that's what we miss. It's normal to have different responses when this kind of stuff happens. Some people are likely confused. Right now, maybe in this disorientation, this disruption in your world, you feel confused, and that's normal. You say things like, but, but I've always gone this way. I've always worked here. I've always done it this way. This is always the way I've, I've raised my kids and this, how I've related to my children or spouse, and all of a sudden it's different. Some people feel suspicious. What if I'm being misled? Who is this guy anyway? You see this constantly right now in the politics. 
Pick a side. We go back too soon or we go back too late. If we go back too soon, people can die. If we go back too late, people are going to die because of the, uh, the economy. There's, there's no way to win. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I think we need to do it right. And we need to, thankfully, hopefully, we have some, some people who have some good minds and can hear God on this as well. But they're often suspicious, feel like they're being misled. Some people even feel threatened. But I like the way I do it. And this is the way I've taught my family to do it. So I'm going to stick with it. I've watched this over the years. People come up on transformation, an opportunity for transformation, disruption, disorientation in their world, uh, a divorce, a broken relationship, someone passes away. I mean, it can be a hundred different things, the loss of a job. And immediately it's like the tables are overturned and everything you understood to be the right way all of a sudden isn't. And the first thing, if we're not careful, we do is ascribe to Jesus something that the money changers were trying to do. We ascribe to God what the enemy was trying to do. We, we, we hear people say, in God's sovereignty, he did this. He brought this virus. No, he didn't. He didn't do that. Get your theology straight. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of sickness. That's not who he is. It doesn't mean it didn't occur. And there is a, there's a tremendous worldview as to why that happens. And if you'd like to talk to, about that over coffee, let's take a couple of weeks and do that because we can. But what it comes back to is when you understand that, that there was a disruption that come, that came, that, that you discover all of a sudden that you don't know everything that needs to be known, that you don't know the way you ought to know. And Jesus in his kindness and his mercy is disrupting our lives sometimes to get our attention, to shake us from our slumber, to help to keep us from going that familiar route, recognizing what, that all of a sudden we realize the bridge was out and we never knew it. In his kindness, he has res rescued us from a route that would have destroyed us. And I think the same thing is happening today. Jesus reveals through this disruption that access to God isn't limited to one specific place, the temple. And a relationship with God doesn't require a marketplace in the church. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even require a church, at least a church building. Disruption is powerful. It'll help you see things. Like right now, I drive over to the building and, and I check on it two or three times a week just to make sure everything's working, checking water, no leaks, and make sure no one's broken in, all that kind of stuff. And every time I drive up and look at that building, it, I, there's a sense of loss not because I, I love that building. To me, that building is literally just a tool to use for God's glory. And we'll get back into that thing and I, that's fine. But what I'm saying is this, that the church was never that building. And we, we know that in our head, but we're finally getting an opportunity to discover that in our heart, in our lives, that, that in some ways, the route was given to you, that if you show up on Sunday, that at least once a Sunday, you get an encounter with God. But oftentimes that was because of someone else's walk with the Lord and not your own. And I want to push and I want to challenge and I want to, I want to maybe even make you a little bit uncomfortable. If you're feeling the weight of this world in a way that seems overwhelming, in a way, to be honest, that's maybe not much different or any different than the people who, are, who, who say they don't know God, Maybe a disruption was necessary in your life to challenge you to have a real relationship with God that's not based on a place 
or a cultural tradition where you show up on a Sunday or the fact that your mama was a Baptist and therefore you're a Baptist. That's not how it's supposed to work. And so Jesus in his kindness, in this disruption, in the flipping of the tables, is challenging us to come to God on God's own merits, not our own and not often the familiar routes that we've been used to. So let me close with this. What will you do with the gift of disruption? Will you rage against the new? Church people are notorious for this. Our favorite phrase is, it has always been that way. And if you think that's funny, it's because you haven't experienced it like I have in real church life. It's literally caused tremendous damage to people's lives. Are you going to keep your 8-track or your cassette or your CD longer than you should? Is it time to transition to something different? Is the old way of doing things, are you finding that not enough? And if so, you have been gifted by God, been challenged by God to come into the relationship that He always intended for you and I to have. Will you ascribe to God everything that is from the enemy? All this disruption and the hurt and the damage and the deaths and all the things that the enemy meant for harm, will you ascribe that to God? Or will you turn your heart and recognize that there is an enemy of our soul and we don't understand it completely, but we have been given revelation about it. There is an enemy of our soul and his, his passion is to kill, steal, and destroy. And all around us, we see that. But the scripture says, but Jesus, his passion, his desire is to bring life and life more abundantly. And if you're not experiencing life and life more abundantly, maybe the old route that you were on, maybe the old way you were doing things was not actually the best way. And in the gift of God's kindness in this disruption, he's putting you on a new path and getting you to a place where the challenges around us, the external pressures drive you internally to pursue God and a real relationship with who he is and what he's done. Will you see, will you understand that God is not causing all this damage, but he's taking what the enemy meant for harm and he's making it work for good to those who love him and are called according to the pur his purposes. If you understand this correctly, you will see that every bit of challenge that you're receiving right now is Jesus further assisting you in accelerating your inheritance from the king. You need to recognize that God is doing something different so that you would do something different. Jesus ushered in a new way to relate to God. No longer would we bring a sacrifice for our sin, for Jesus had become the sacrifice for our sin. Now there is a new and a living way to God. It's not based on a place. It's not based on a culture. It's not based on a temple. It's not based on a, on a, a you giving sacrifice. It's based on someone did it for you. And your acceptance and your recognition of what Jesus did for you and putting your trust in Him and what He did on the cross gives you access, not to heaven, but to the one, the builder and the maker, the architect, of heaven, the one who makes heaven what it is because of who he is in his presence. So let the failures of the season, and I promise you there have been failures. You've missed it. I know you have. I have too. Let the failures of this season be a catalyst to drive you into his presence, 
not from fear, but for a thankfulness that he is, he is faithful to, to receive us. The Bible says even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And just like the picture in Genesis where Adam sinned and he, run, he ran and he hid from God, the challenge is because of what Jesus did on the cross, now when we sin, we can run into the presence of God because all of that sin was paid for on the cross. And it no longer gives, takes access away from the very one who loves us. And that was his intention for the cross. And so I just want to pray for us. But before I do, will you let the mistakes that have occurred in this place recognize, first of all, they're not permanent. And that scripture says Jesus lives to ever make intercession for you. And understand this. What it means is his life, the fact that he is alive, is the intercession. In other words, it's not Jesus, uh, like religion teaches us, Jesus is going and praying to the Father and trying to, to, to take away his anger so that somehow he'll hear your prayer. Or even worse, that the saints pray to Jesus so that Jesus will pray to the Father. I mean, how far removed do you have to be? That is not what Scripture reveals. That because of Jesus' work on the cross, because of what He did, that now the, the Bible says that the, 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 uh, separating, um, the separation between heaven and earth, the, the thing that kept us from the holy place was ripped. The veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, signifying that on the cross what happened is access had not been given because of our sacrifice or because of the place, but because God from heaven came and tore everything away that kept you from coming into his presence. And it was a permanent scenario. That was a permanent disruption, never to go back to the old way. There is now a new and a living way, a permanent open door for you as a believer into the presence of God. And Scripture says it this way. It says that I can come into His presence with boldness in time of need, expecting help. But we often don't do that because of our sin. And I just want to encourage you, let the failures of this season, let them be a catalyst to drive you to recognize that part of the reason I've, I've, I've missed it is because I built my house on some bad foundations. And that was discovered through this disruption. And now there's an opportunity for you to come boldly into the presence of God with heart and arms wide open. Say, Lord, thank you so much for what you've done. Thank you that the way was made, not because I did well, but because you did it for me. And because of that, I love you. And I want to be with you. And I want to hear your voice. And I want to be on mission with you. And I want to recognize that this world that I live in is temporary anyway. And that everything of permanence, every good, and, and, and good thing that comes down from heaven, it comes from my heavenly Father. And so just remember that disruption is not designed to destroy you. It's designed to reorient you. So take some time this week as we go in and, and recognize grace and come into the presence of God, recognizing that your sin has been, it's been pushed away because of what Jesus did. It's been purchased. It's been paid for already fully because of what Jesus did. And you can come boldly into the presence of God and receive help and relationship when you're desperately in need. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of disruption. Lord, we recognize that there's an enemy of our soul and he meant to destroy, Lord, and you're giving us insight and wisdom and how to come against that and bring help and wholeness, Lord. We see people doing it all over the world. 
especially believers, Lord, stepping up and, and, and giving of themselves and, and their lives and their, their fortunes and everything that they are to help and to bless and to pull people out of brokenness and hurting. And so, Lord, for that, we're thankful. But, Lord, in this moment, there's an opportunity for us to, to really know you, to really get to know you, to recognize that maybe our house has been built on faulty foundations. Maybe, Lord, the foundation of the house we've been living in was not, you were not the, the architect and the builder of it. And so, Lord, let those broken things, let those failures remind me, Lord, that there is, there is a right and there is a good. There is a godliness. There is a way about you. There is a route. There is a, a, a process. There is something that you desire that is good and not evil, that's a blessing and not a cursing, Lord. And that that is found not in the morality of the code, but, Lord, in the presence of a heavenly Father who loves us and who walks with us and longs to walk with us in the cool of the day. Jesus, thank you that you paid such a heavy price to bring me into the presence of my Father. And Lord, I want to honor that sacrifice by coming boldly into that throne room and say, Lord, thank you for help in time of need. And I just want to know you.